cross from Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory or boast save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And we talk about the fact that there are reasons that we boast. There are reasons people in which we boast. I, you know, talk to you about um, the Grand Slam I did when I, when I played Little League. And uh, some of you boast in, when you know, the, the catch that just, um, not that got away, but grows every time you talk about it. And, and our grandchildren and children and those kind of things. We, there are reasons that we find for glory, for boasting, but there's no greater reason than to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why God seems to leave out a lot about the cross? Have you ever wondered why? And when I say leave out, I mean details. The fact of the matter is, a great deal of the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A, a lot of the material, a great deal of the material in those Gospels deals with the last week of our Lord's life and even the last few hours of our Lord's life. But when it comes to Jesus on the cross, when we read about the darkness, we read about the, 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 the words that He spoke, we we. But we don't have a lot of details, and we especially don't have details about what happened from giving up the ghost to seeing him alive again. I think one of the most vivid pictures of the suffering of our Lord Jesus is not found in the New Testament. It's actually our text, Isaiah 53. If you remember Brother Craig Hartman, Brother Craig is a Jewish believer. He came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as the true Messiah. Brother Craig is continuing his education he goes to a Jewish, a Hebrew university in New York City, and he will very often open his Bible to Isaiah 53 on purpose. And he will, in conversation with Jewish folks, read to them from Isaiah 53. And one of their questions will be, well, what, what are you reading? And he he will simply hold up his Bible like this and they'll see that he's reading from the Bible and it'll say something like the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they'll look a little confused and he'll read some more from Isaiah 53. And he said, it's, it's happened every time he's had this conversation. It's happened every time he reads from Isaiah 53. One of the Jewish people he's talking to will say this, you're reading, aren't you, about your Jesus? And then he'll say, but it's from your Old Testament. This is one of the most vivid illustrations of the suffering of the servant of God on the cross for the people of God, or for a people to become the people of God. In Jewish religion, Jewish practice, they have regular readings from their Old Testament. They have regular readings at certain times of the year. And they will read through what we would consider to be our Old Testament. When they come to the book of Isaiah, they will stop their reading 
or skip over in their reading, beginning in chapter 52 at verse number 13. In other words, they will read Isaiah 52 down to verse number 12, and then they will continue their reading in Isaiah chapter 54. They skip, and it's in their published reading calendars, they skip this section of Scripture because they know who it really is talking about. And today we want to see God's suffering servant. And we want to do so so that we stay astonished. Look in chapter 52, starting at verse number 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished or astonished at thee. Now, when does that happen? That happens at the cross. Now, how do we know that? Because of what's further described here. His visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. This is referring back to the sprinkling of the blood of the sacrifice on the people. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall consider. Stay, be astonished at Christ and His cross. Now we won't take time to continue to read, but we will work our way through chapter 53. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, please, please open our hearts to Your Word and to Your Spirit. And Father God, would You show us truth today and help us be amazed that Jesus would do this for us. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we talked to you about the victory that was accomplished at the cross. The victory that was accomplished. Victory over the deceiver. The devil lost at the cross. Over death. Death died. King death was conquered. And there was victory over darkness, the darkness of sin, the curse that was brought on by a tree in the Garden of Eden. That curse was broken by a tree on Golgotha. Today, we want to spend some time looking at the victor. And we want to be astonished and adore him today. The victor. Now, I will admit to you, and I I should do this probably more often than I do, this outline is not original with me. I, and you know this, I borrow brains because I don't have enough to go around, all right? I borrowed the outline. We will put the meat on the bones, but the outline is actually one of the best that I have seen for helping us to kind of get a grasp of what Isaiah is trying to say to us about Jesus. I want to talk to you first of all about vicarious suffering. Now, let me work our way, or we'll work our way to chapter to verse number four. Because I want you to see a couple of things in the first few verses. God starts His introduction of His servant back in chapter 52. And notice just some of the things that He says about it. He says, My servant shall deal prudently. 
He shall be exalted, extolled, and be very high. And then we get into more specifics. As many were astonished. The word is also, or could also be the word, horrified. Many were horrified because of what? Because his visage, his countenance, his face was marred more than any man. The word marred means disfigured. And and the phrase could literally be read this way. He was disfigured from man. Not meaning that the disfigurement took place from man, although that is true. But it has a stronger meaning than that. It means that his face, his countenance, his body was disfigured so that you could not tell he was a man. I do remind you that the cross is probably not what you think it is. We see paintings and we see pictures and I promise you every painting you have ever seen and every every picture or illustration you have ever seen of the cross has been sanitized. It has been made palatable. The cross, there is nothing lovely about the cross. There is nothing attractive about the cross. It was a place of bloody execution. And much of what happened on the cross started before the cross. You see, there was torture and there was agony and there was pain long before anyone ever went to a cross. And Jesus was not the only one who ever did that, you understand? Jesus was not the only person ever to ever die on the cross, but I will say this, He is the only one who ever died the way He did on a cross. The cross was a place of torture and torment and agony and shame and pain. But before Jesus was ever nailed to a cross, He was scourged. Scourging was a process using a whip this whip had a had a had a, a handle and and nine leather straps woven into those straps would have been pieces of of rock stone that were that were chiseled whittled down to to a razor's edge they would they would weave pieces of spike and and sharpened bone into those leather straps And the person being scourged would be tied over a log. Their back, their body would be stripped from from the waist up. And and, and, and their their back would be stretched tight like a drum. Their skin tight like a drum. And two Roman soldiers would bring those, those whips down repeatedly on the back of that person being scourged and those sharp stones and bones and spikes would pierce skin and tear skin and rip skin off bone. Those straps would wrap around the body and as they were yanked off, so would come flesh and He was marred from man. No wonder they were horrified. Verse 
53. Let's move down into chapter 53 now. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The question is this. Another way we could ask this question is simply this. Does anybody even believe God anymore? Does anybody even believe God anymore? I want to remind you that Isaiah was commissioned into the ministry. You read about it in Isaiah chapter 6. God said to Isaiah, I am going to send you out to preach to my people, but their ears will be closed. Their hearts will be hard. They will not listen. And I think Isaiah is trying to say some of what preachers are saying even today. Please listen to God. I am more interested in you hearing from God than I will ever be that you hear from me. Now Isaiah begins to describe the servant of Christ, servant of God. For he, the servant, Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He had no form nor comeliness, splendor. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised. And rejected of men. He is a man of sorrows. The word sorrows there actually describes physical pain. He is a man of physical pain. And that's not just talking about the cross. But certainly includes it. He is acquainted with grief. The idea there is that he knows it very well. He knows grief. He knows physical pain. And we, as it were, hid our faces from him. We despised him. We didn't esteem him. We esteemed him not. We, we, we didn't give him the glory and honor he deserves. You say, people, people don't do that anymore. No, yes, they do, and you know it. After we go through and talk about some of the things that Jesus went through on a cross, you know what? Your, your mind ought to be asking a question like this. Why would anyone think that there's any other way to heaven if Jesus is willing to go through this, how dare anyone believe they can work their way to heaven? Who has the pride and audacity and arrogance to think that they can add to what Jesus did? Vicarious suffering, starting in verse number 4. We're just going to look at the words. Surely, surely he hath borne our griefs. The word griefs here is sicknesses. And that's not necessarily talking about physical sickness or disease. That's talking about the fact that our souls are sick. Sin is the disease. Sin is the sickness. And everyone has it. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's the same word that's back up in verse number 3. Physical pains. And again, we're not talking about physical. We're talking about spiritual pain. I have been in the ministry long enough 
and dealt with enough people to hear repeatedly, to turn it again this week, to hear repeatedly the spiritual pain that people have who try to make life work without God. Struggle, grief, despair, depression. They, they might use different words, but they're all talking about the same thing. The struggle of trying to make life work without God. Jesus suffered those kinds of struggles not while He was alive, but while He was on a cross. Look again. He was stricken. Verse 4. Stricken, beaten, smitten of God. The word smitten. Crushed. Crushed. Slaughtered would be another way to put it. Slaughtered. He's doing this in our place. Notice the the phrase, the chastisement of our peace. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And with His stripes, we are healed. Vicarious suffering. The idea being that He is taking our place. That's what the word vicarious means. And when we're healed, we're made whole. We're purified. The fact that our sins were laid on Him has the idea of literally falling on Him or, or, or coming violently upon Him. Jesus took your place. You hear me say it quite often. God punished Him instead of me. You can make that personal for you. You see, because everyone in this room deserves the punishment that sin brings. Would you do me a favor? Would you do me a favor? Would you think of your soul right now like you probably never thought of it before? Think about it this way. Maybe one time in your life. Think of your soul as if you're hearing this for the very first time. Because the fact of the matter is, some of us have heard it so many times, it doesn't matter to us anymore. Oh, and we can repeat words, and we can tell you about prayers that we've prayed, But the fact of the matter is there are some people in this room who have never come to the place, you've never come to the place where you repented because you realize you deserve hell. Oh no. Some of us in this room, we pray because we don't want to go to hell. We said a few words because we don't want to go to hell. You know what? Salvation is so much more than just not wanting to go to hell. Salvation is I want Jesus more than I want my sin. Salvation is I am a sinner and I deserve hell. Salvation is not just a repeat of prayer. It's not just 
an act of baptism after repeating a prayer. It's an act of mercy and of grace purchased for you, offered to you, but it will not be given apart from genuine repentance and faith. Jesus died in my place. He lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I deserve to die. Vicarious suffering. In this same section of Scripture, we've talked a little bit about it, but look at the violent suffering. Violent suffering. He was stricken. Again, the idea there is he's beaten. That happened in the scourging. He was beaten with fists. He was bruised. He was bloodied. He was smitten of God. He was slaughtered. He was afflicted. The end of verse 4. Now, I want to be delicate in what that word means. But do you remember the story of Amnon and Tamar? David's children. Amnon took advantage of his half-sister Tamar. It's the same word. Humiliating abuse. Humiliating abuse. Jesus suffered that. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that he endured the cross despising the shame. The shame of the cross. Again, reverently, I remind you that before He was nailed to a cross, He was stripped naked. And he hanged open on that cross from 9 o'clock into the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He suffered humiliating abuse. He was wounded. The idea of the word wounded there is attacked. He was bruised. That word means he was crushed. It's like, it's like the torture of having being stoned that we read about in New Testament times. And with His stripes, and that's literally referring to the scourging we talked about a little while ago. Violent suffering. I want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, notice it's God that initiates this. He was smitten of God and he was, he was smitten, he was slaughtered by God and humiliated by God, abused by God. God initiated this treatment of His own Son. It was initiated by God but it was necessary for our redemption. The depravity of our sin required the depth of His suffering. The depravity of our sin required the death 
of His suffering. Our sin required the slaughter of the innocent one. But I want you to get the wrong idea. Jesus voluntarily suffered for us. Jesus willingly went to the cross for us. And He didn't just endure some mild affliction or minor suffering. He was murdered even though He was innocent. Verses 7-9 through nine speak of His voluntary suffering. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Other words, other translations, He was taken to prison. That's what that word oppressed means. He was a prisoner. This word is also used to describe how the Egyptians treated the Israelites when they were in slavery. And yet He opened not His mouth. God is trying to make a point here to show us the contrast between the silence of ignorance. Because there are some people who, who are silent when they're mistreated because they don't understand what's going on. But that's not the way it was for Jesus. He was fully aware. He, was, he had full understanding. And yet His silence is the picture of His submission. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before His shearers is dumb. Doesn't speak so He opens not His mouth. Now, like the sacrificial lamb, they can only picture the substitute that we require, but they cannot actually be the substitute. Because a lamb has no consciousness of what is about to happen. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Look at verse 9. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is a horrible injustice. Jesus is innocent. We are guilty. And yet Jesus is the one who died. Jesus is the one who suffered. Jesus is the one who's put on our cross. And the fact of the matter is that the slightest perceived injustice in our lives, what are we doing? We're screaming for our rights. We are demanding justice. And Jesus is silent. Vicarious suffering. He died in our place. Violent suffering. It had to be because of the depravity of our sin. Voluntary <coughs> suffering. Jesus knew that it wasn't just going to be a cross. It wasn't just going to be suffering. It wasn't just going to be shame. It would mean separation from His Father. It would mean that His Father would turn His back on His own Son and unleash all the wrath of an, of an eternal punishment for every sinner on Jesus. But it's victorious suffering. Verse 12, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be. Say that next word out loud. Louder. Louder. Satisfied. 
love the word propitiation. It's hard to say, but I love to try to say it. And I love what it means. Propitiation is a New Testament concept, but here it is in the Old Testament record of the suffering of Christ. God will see what Jesus has gone through and be satisfied. What does that mean? That means (coughs) that the wrath (coughs) I deserved, the wrath you deserve, the hell I deserve, the hell you deserve, the lake of fire I deserve, the lake of fire you deserve, (coughs) was unleashed on Christ while He was on a cross. And while He was taking that punishment, God said, it's finished. It's enough. And so Jesus could say, it is finished. Please don't think that what Jesus was talking about when He said those three words was just They're going to come down and take me off a cross. Or, my life is over, it's finished. No. What was he talking about? He was talking about the fact that he had satisfied God's wrath that our sin deserved. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 2 says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10, Herein is not love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does the word mean? It means, uh, it's a means of appeasing wrath and gaining the goodwill of an offended person. (coughs) So when Jesus offered Himself as a willing sacrifice, when God unleashed all The wrath our sin deserves in Jesus took it upon Himself. God's wrath was appeased. Let me show you a couple other verses. And and, and, and let me show you something I think to be very interesting here. Romans 3.25 Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Now we have the word propitiation here, but there's another way that this word is, this particular word translated propitiation is translated in Hebrews 9.25. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, the place where God's Wrath is satisfied. The mercy is You see, in Old Testament times, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would bring in the blood of a, a sacrificed animal. And he would take that blood and he would pour it on the place of propitiation. The mercy. And on the day that Jesus died, as the blood of God's Son poured down on Calvary's cross, it became a mercy seat. And God's wrath is satisfied. And why did that happen? What happened? Because His wrath was satisfied. Verse 11, By His knowledge, by His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. Because God's wrath is satisfied, our sins can be forgiven. As a matter of fact, it, it, it looks this way. God takes my sin and puts on Jesus. 
And God takes His righteousness and puts on me. Justified. Made righteous. Declared innocent. Romans 4.25 tells us He was delivered for our sins, our offenses, and raised again for our justification. You see, some people leave Jesus on a cross in their symbols and in their jewelry and their icons and those kind of things. They leave Jesus on a cross. But if you leave Jesus on a cross, you leave out what is necessary for justification. You leave out the resurrection. You see, because Jesus is alive, we now can be clothed in His righteousness. Some people want a Jesus that just died for their sins. They don't want a Jesus that makes a difference in their lives. And one day, God is going to exalt this servant. He's going to give him an inheritance that only he deserves. He's going to give him a throne. And this Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, will sit upon that throne. And His victory will be seen. And His praises will be sung. And multitudes upon multitudes, millions upon millions of born-again believers from every tongue and tribe and nation will gather at His feet and our song will for all eternity be worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Has the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleansed you from your sin? Has the blood of Jesus Christ been poured out on your life? Do you know Jesus just as someone who can make life better for you or give you life? Glory in the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should both save in the cross the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. See, see from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life. Always be astonished by Christ 
and his cross. Let's bow for prayer. you a question. And it has nothing to do with anything you've ever done in the past. It, ha- it, it has everything to do with what you believe right now. Please stop thinking in terms of what you did and start thinking in terms of what you are. Stop thinking in terms of prayers you've prayed before and start thinking in terms of faith you have right now. Based upon what you believe right now about Jesus and the cross and His blood and your sin and justification and the righteousness of Christ, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, based upon what you believe right now, are you going to heaven? If you can say yes, would you hold your hand high in the air, please? Thank you. Put your hands down. I appreciate those who did not raise your hand for being, I appreciate you being honest. So what will you do with Jesus today? Will you leave him on a cross? Or will you take him as your savior and realize that he's alive to make an eternal difference in your life? Not just to make you feel good, but to take away your sins. Not just to give you a home in heaven, but to be your king. Is there anyone today who would say, Carrie, I need Christ as my Savior. I want Christ more than I want my sin." Would you slip your hand up if that's you today? I bless you. Put that down. I want Christ. I want Jesus more than I want my sin. Somebody else. In just a minute, when we have our invitation time, if you just raised your hand, we'll have someone open a Bible and show you how the Bible says you can have Jesus today and have your sins forgiven and know it Believer, have you gotten over the cross? We need it every day. We need the cross, the gospel, every day. Because we need our sins forgiven every day. We need fellowship with God every day. We need to learn how to endure suffering every day like Jesus did. Submission that He And it may be that God's used His Word in your life. Heads are bowed, please. Eyes are closed. Would you stand? If you want Jesus in just a minute, I encourage you just to step out. I'll meet you halfway or I'll meet you in the center. We'll have someone open a Bible and show you how, how to have Jesus as your Savior. Take, receive Jesus as your Savior. Believer, if you need help, you spend some time with God. You come let us know. Father, I pray that during this invitation, those who need to, <coughs> should respond 
would do so humbly, quickly, and obediently. And I ask in Jesus' name. Heads are about eyes are closed. You do what you need to do with God right now. Step out and come if you need to. Spend some time in prayer. Let us know how we can help you this morning. for your questions. Thank you so much for being here. Remember, there's not a service tonight. We'd love to see you Wednesday for our Bible study and prayer time. We're learning how to P-R-A-Y, how to praise, how to repent, how to ask, and how to yield in prayer. And so we encourage you to be here Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Visitors, so good to have you here today. Please come back and Join us again. Good to see folks who haven't been here for a while. Let's be dismissed in prayer. And you, you don't have to rush off. I know the preacher went long this morning. And I hope your ham's not burned. But spend some time fellowshipping. And church family, you be sure to let our visitors know that we are glad to be here. And then over would you dismiss us in prayer, please. Father, we are so thankful that today we have confidence.